So our next speaker is also um, an activist. She's uh, British Somali. Uh, she's also a feminist. Um, she's the co-founder and director of an organization called Daughters of Eve, which is a survivor-led organization that's helped transform the approach to ending feminine female genital mutilation, or FGM. She formerly, wor formerly worked on the Girl Generation, uh, a project to uh, an African-led movement to end FGM within a generation. She's been credited as the person who changed David Cameron's mind about FGM. Um, she, in 2014, she was named Red Magazine's Woman of the Year. She's also been named by the Sunday Times as one of the 500 most influential people in Britain. And um, she's also a trustee of Women for Refugee Women. Uh, and a founding member, member of the Women's Equality Party. Please give a really warm welcome to Nimco Ali. Thank you very much. I'm not going to take up the 15 minutes, and it's really um, touching to come after um, Hassan. I'm quite moved. I um, myself um, became refugee at the age of four, um, at the age of seven. I was um, living in Manchester. I had a very affluent life. I was traveling the world. And then in the late, in the late 80s, we, we went on holiday to Somaliland. Where is Somaliland, you say? It's a non-recognized state in the Horn of Africa, just above Somalia, that other place you all hear about, which is at war. And it's 27 years old, and it's 27 years since I became a victim, and I'm a survivor of female genital mutilation. So yeah, I have um, got a, a list of accolades, but all I really do is talk about vaginas, which are amazing and we need to protect. And I think, <laughs> and it's really interesting that we're in this special venue about sustainability and there is nothing more that needs sustaining than women's equality and the right for women and girls to be free from one of the weirdest forms of gender-based violence. So globally, there are 200 million women who are living with FGM and I'm one of those 200 million women. Um, I came back to the UK as a seven-year-old after having had FGM and I just thought it was incredibly stupid. I didn't put it into a context of culture. I didn't think it was Islamic. I didn't think it was nothing. I just thought it was really, really weird. And for me, I really wanted context to what this weird thing that had happened to me was. So um, as I did, when I always had conversations, I went to my school teacher and I said, miss, this really weird thing happened to me. And I was very graphic. I was very open. I, didn't, I wasn't ashamed. And that's the very interesting thing. And one of the things that I'm very confident about talking to politicians about my anatomy is because I don't feel any shame. I think the people who are perpetuated FGM should feel embarrassed, not necessarily the victims. So I went to my teacher and I said, this thing happened to me. And she looked at me because I don't think she had the language and the, um, and the, and the ability to explain it to me. And she said, well, this is what happens to girls like you. And I thought, what is that? Girls with curly hair, girls who were born in December, girls who are what? But essentially what she meant is like, this is what happens to girls like you who are from Africa. And I knew that wasn't true because like, you know, there was other places in Africa where FGM didn't actually happen. So for years and years, I searched for answers. And um, there are four different types of FGM. They're all as wrong as each other. But I had a very in invasive form of FGM, which meant that at the age of 11, I had to have medical inter intervention. And I still, so these are the formative things that have kind of changed my life. So I was dismissed at seven by my teacher. At 11, I went to a major hospital in, in, in Cardiff with a trauma and, and an injury that, that would have shocked a lot of people. But because everybody else was too culturally sensitive um, they said nothing they just fixed me up and just let me go 
Um, I then went on to um, read and find um, Noel Adesalawi, who's an amazing Egyptian writer, and she talked about her FGM. I went to um, I went on and found George Orwell and realized that some of us just think outside the box. So I just went on and got on with my life thinking everybody's going to connect and, and realize that FGM is something really weird and it doesn't need to happen. Um, and then I moved to Bristol for university. I finished my degree and I got a very successful job in civil service. And then at a feminist um, conference, a teacher came to me and she said, um, are you Somali? I said, I am. She said, do you want to come and talk to my cohort about aspiration and just being different and just thinking outside the box? And I thought, fine, why not? So I walked into a classroom in 2006, um, expecting just to talk to young girls about aspiring to go to Oxbridge or Bristol or Durham and all these other constant conversations that we're having about giving young black girls aspirations. I walked into that classroom, never thinking that I would leave real, um, being told by them that 13 out of those 14 girls in those class, in in that classroom had undergone FGM almost 17 years after I was, um, I was a victim of FGM. I left, I didn't necessarily have the power or the understanding at 22 because I didn't want everybody to look at me as a victim. I was, I was successful, I was intelligent, I was free, I was happy. FGM was nothing to do with me. So I put some beautiful policies together and I left and came to London. And then I started to volunteer for an organization in, 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 in London and there was a young girl who had the same form of FGM that I had. And she went um, into a, um, a psychological um, service. So she had a nervous breakdown because of the FGM that she had. And I remember I took her out for three and a half months. I took her for coffee. I had conversations with her. I kept telling her everything was gonna be okay. I was one of those very understanding aunties or uncles or people we all know saying everything's gonna be okay. Um, and then she said to me, I've got, um, I've got a, um, an art show in East London, do you want to come? It's part of my therapy. Weirdly enough, I had a date on that day and I thought, God, I've got a date, do I, what do I do? But I really love this girl and I want to support her. So I took my date to East London. <laughs> um, not thinking it was going to be my coming out story. So I, I got there and I saw this young girl on a stage hyperventilating and falling apart. And in that moment, I understood that my silence was so complicit to the misunderstanding of FGM as something that happened over there, as something that was through ignorance. FGM is a form of gender-based violence and is a very organized form of gender-based violence. Every single person that takes part in it knows what's happening. Those who are systematically abusing the girls directly, which is mostly done by women, are doing harm with the best of intentions because they're told, unless you do this, then we're going to do it. So ultimately, the victim becomes the per perpetrator, but the real um, villain is, is the patriarchy and the inequalities there are within those societies. So I went on to that stage, not, not realizing the microphone was on. I'm very open about talking about my vagina and, my, and what happened to me now, but I wasn't then, and especially not when there was a date in the room. Um, <laughs> so I went onto the stage not seeing that the microphone was on, and I said to her that everything was going to be okay because I knew what she'd gone through, because, because I understood. And she said, how do you understand? And I said, because I had the same form of FGM as, as, as you had. I came out to a very... Um, like in a trendy room in East London, um, and then also a guy in the corner who wanted an explanation afterwards. Um, so that was my first um, kind of initial experience of talking about my, my anatomy and talking about FGM. And I tried to, then in 2011, I gave up my job thinking, I'm just going to do this for six months. I'm just going to talk to the politicians, and they're going to say, fine, we'll sort it out, it's okay. That's not how it worked. Um, so I started a charity called Daughters of Eve, 
um, to ultimately say that all women come together and as we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, we've been blamed for all the ills of the world and really Eve didn't eat the apple, it was Adam. It was his choice, as I like to say. But um, I started the charity to, first of all, to change the narrative of FGM. Everybody talked about eradicating FGM as though it was some kind of virus. We needed to end it. I wanted to get um, the voices of women in Africa to be heard because they were the ones that were leading the conversation. And I did this for four and a half years. I got David Cameron to say the word clitoris. I also got... <laughs> I also got 36 million um, pounds out of him to fund an African campaign. I got us to really take seriously the fact that each and every one of us has a role to play in really ending FGM. And then in 2016, I faced my greatest fear, which was to go back to my um, birthplace of Somaliland and talk about FGM. I went there at first just to relive and just to see the place that I was born, not expecting to do anything about FGM at the beginning. But because we live in such a global world, um, my conversations about FGM had got to my home country and I found young people, I found women and I found politicians that were really really hungry and really eager to talk about FGM and ending it but they just didn't have the way to do that. So um, in 2017 there was going to be the fifth um, election and I went there and I went to go speak to the three main candidates that, that were standing for the presidency and asked them to pass legislation. Would they be committed to passing the legislation to end FGM? I'm going to show a video in a minute. Would they be committed to pass the legislation against FGM. Before that, I was meant to go to New York to talk about um, ending FGM, but I wasn't allowed to go because, I've be because I'm a Muslim that went to Africa, so America banned me. So I had to Skype into, I had to Skype into this UN, um, this um, Gates Foundation event, and there was a guy in, th in that room who said to me, um, what can I do to help? And I said, I need to get to Africa, I need to get back to Somaliland, and I need to meet these three men and get them to commit or even have a conversation with them about ending FGM. That was um, 12 months ago, that was last August, oh, sorry, and um, within 12 months with £6,000 we've got legislation passed. Somaliland has one of the youngest populations in the world, 70% um, of its population is under 30. FGM still stands at 98% in my home country. But I can say in front of you, by 2030, we are going to have a, a massive reduction. We're going to have a 70% um, reduction of FGM on a global level. But that is only if we commit and fund women on the front line. So I'm going to show you the video, but I'm just going to ask you three um, um, commitments out of you. Talk about the female anatomy. There is nothing scary about it. If we don't talk about it, then, then others like, you know, start creating the myths about the clitoris, about the labias, about all those things. So educate yourself, men and women, um, to support the fact that we as a country have um, committed 0.7% of our GDP to global development. So we are changing lives on a day-to-day -day basis around the world don't listen to the Daily Mail, don't listen to Jacob Rees-Mogg, don't listen to all these people, They're not, that money is not being wasted. Three, the only way that we can really and truly end FGM is if we trust women in Africa to really do the work and if we listen to their stories. So if you are going to give, if you do want to do something, then there's an organization called Donor Direct Action, the only organization in the world where up to 90% of every um, don don donation you make goes to women. I've worked in NGOs, I've worked for government, and some of our NGOs have a 75% overhead. So 75% of whatever you donate gets spent here. So I'm going to leave you on a positive note and I'm going to share with you a two-minute video about ending FGM in Somaliland.
With FGM at 98% in Somaliland, it's a massive issue. But each and every one of us has the power to really make change. Okay. Women are still being cut up and mutilated and damaged to the point where their life is put in danger. It's ethically wrong. It's professionally wrong. FGM must stop. Will the Prime Minister join me in celebrating the hugely successful elections this week in Somaliland? What's more, the winning candidate has announced that one of his first acts will be to legislate against FGM as a direct consequence of work by a, campaign, a British campaigner, Nimco Ali, who deserves this house. Support us.